Section 97 of Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The World's Story, Volume 5. Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 97. King Roderick and the Magic Tower. 709 A.D. An ancient legend related by Washington Irving. Roderick the Goth was the last of the Gothic kings. He was overcome in the 8th century by the hordes of Mohammedans, who came from northern Africa, and also from Arabia and Syria, now crowded the peninsula. The Editor. Now, so it happened, according to the legend, that about this time, as King Roderick was seated one day on his throne, surrounded by his nobles, in the ancient city of Toledo, two men of venerable appearance entered the hall of audience. Their snowy beards descended to their breasts, and their gray hairs were bound with ivy. They were arrayed in white garments of foreign or antiquated fashion, which swept the ground, and were cinctured with girdles, wrought with the signs of the zodiac, from which were suspended enormous bunches of keys of every variety of form. Having approached the throne, and made obeisance, No, O king, said one of the old men, that in days of yore, when Hercules of Libya, surnamed the Strong, had set up his pillars at the ocean strait, he erected a tower near to this ancient city of Toledo. He built it of prodigious strength, and finished it with magic art, shutting up within it a fearful secret, never to be penetrated without peril and disaster. To protect this terrible mystery, he closed the entrance to the edifice by a great lock of steel, and he left a command that every king who should succeed him should add another lock to the portal denouncing woe and destruction on him who should eventually unfold the secret of the tower the guardianship of the portal was given to our ancestors and has continued in our family from generation to generation since the days of hercules several kings from time to time have caused the gate to be thrown open and have attempted to enter but have paid dearly for their temerity some have perished within the threshold Others have been overwhelmed with horror at tremendous sounds, which shook the foundations of the earth, and have hastened to reclose the door and secure it with its thousand locks. Thus, since the day of Hercules, the inmost recesses of the pile have never been penetrated by mortal man, and a profound mystery continues to prevail over this great enchantment. This, O king, is all we have to relate and our errand is to entreat thee to repair to the tower and affix thy lock to the portal, as has been done by all thy predecessors. Having thus said, the ancient men made a profound reverence and departed from the presence chamber. Don Roderick remained for some time, lost in thought after the departure of the men. He then dismissed all his court excepting the venerable Urbino, at that time Archbishop of Toledo, the long white beard of this prelate bespoke his advanced age, and his overhanging eyebrows showed him a man full of wary counsel. Father, said the king, 
I have an earnest desire to penetrate the mystery of this tower. The worthy prelate shook his hoary head. Beware, my son, said he. There are secrets hidden from man for his good. Your predecessors for many generations have respected this mystery and have increased in might and empire. A knowledge of it, therefore, is not material to the welfare of your kingdom. Seek not then to indulge a rash and unprofitable curiosity, which is interdicted under such awful menaces. Of what importance, cried the king, are the menaces of Hercules the Libyan? Was he not a pagan? And can his enchantments have aught avail against a believer in our holy faith? Doubtless, in this tower are locked up treasures of gold and jewels, amassed in days of old, the spoils of mighty kings, the riches of the pagan world. My coffers are exhausted. I have need of supply, and surely it would be an acceptable act in the eyes of heaven to draw forth this wealth, which lies buried under profane and necromantic spells, and consecrate it to religious purposes. The venerable archbishop still continued to remonstrate, but Don Roderick heeded not his counsel, for he was led on by his malignant star. Father, said he, it is in vain you attempt to dissuade me. My resolution is fixed. Tomorrow I will explore the hidden mystery, or rather the hidden treasures of this tower. The morning sun shone brightly upon the cliff-built towers of Toledo, when King Roderick issued out of the gate at the head of a numerous train of courtiers and cavaliers, and crossed the bridge that bestrides the deep rocky bed of the Tagus. The shining cavalcade wound up the road that leads among the mountains, and soon came in sight of the necromantic tower. Of this renowned edifice marvels are related by the ancient Arabian and Spanish chroniclers, and I doubt much, adds the venerable Agapita, whether many readers will not consider the whole as a cunningly devised fable, sprung from an oriental imagination. But it is not for me to reject a fact which is recorded by all those writers who are the fathers of our national history. A fact, too, which is as well attested as most of the remarkable events in the story of Don Roderick. None but light and inconsiderate minds, continues the good friar, do hastily reject the marvelous. To the thinking mind, the whole world is enveloped in mystery and everything is full of type and portent. To such a mind, the necromantic tower of Toledo will appear as one of those wondrous monuments of the olden time, those Egyptian and Chaldaic piles, storied with hidden wisdom and mystic prophecy, which have been devised in past ages, when man yet enjoyed in intercourse with high and spiritual natures, and when human foresight partook of divination, this singular tower was round and of great height and grandeur, erected upon a lofty rock and surrounded by crags and precipices. The foundation was supported by four brazen lions, each taller than a cavalier on horseback. The walls were built of small pieces of jasper and various colored marbles, not larger than a man's hand, so subtly joined, however, that for their different hues they might be taken for one entire stone. They were arranged with marvelous cunning, so as to represent battles and warlike deeds of times and heroes long since passed away, and the whole surface was so admirably polished that the stones were as lustrous as glass and reflected the rays of the sun with such resplendent brightness as to dazzle all beholders. King Roderick and his courtiers arrived, 
wondering and amazed at the foot of the rock here there was a narrow arched way cut through the living stone the only entrance to the tower it was closed by a massive iron gate covered with rusty locks of divers workmanship and in the fashion of different centuries which had been affixed by the predecessors of don roderick on either side of the portals stood the two ancient guardians of the tower laden with the keys appertaining to the locks the king alighted and approaching the portals ordered the guardians to unlock the gate the hoary-headed men drew back with terror alas cried they what is it your majesty requires of us would you have the mischiefs of this tower unbound and let loose to shake the earth to its foundations the venerable archbishop urbano likewise implored him not to disturb a mystery which had been held sacred from generation to generation within the memory of man and which even caesar himself when severine of spain had not yet ventured to invade the youthful cavaliers however were eager to pursue the adventure and encouraged him in his rash curiosity come what may exclaimed roderick i am resolved to penetrate the mystery of this tower so saying he again commanded the guardians to unlock the portal the ancient men obeyed with fear and trembling but their hands shook with age and when they applied the keys the locks were so rusted by time or of such strange workmanship that they resisted their feeble efforts whereupon the young cavaliers pressed forward and lent their aid still the locks were so numerous and difficult that with all their eagerness and strength a great part of the day was exhausted before the whole of them could be mastered when the last bolt had yielded to the key the guardians and the reverend archbishop again entreated the king to pause and reflect whatever is within this tower they said is as yet harmless and lies bound under a mighty spell venture not then to open a door which may let forth a flood of evil upon the land but the anger of the king was roused and he ordered that the portal should instantly be thrown open in vain however did one after another exert his strength and equally in vain did the cavaliers unite their forces and apply their shoulders to the gate though there was neither bar nor bolt remaining it was perfectly immovable the patience of the king was now exhausted and he advanced to apply his hand scarcely however did he touch the iron gate when it swung slowly open uttering as it were a dismal groan as it turned reluctantly upon its hinges a cold damp wind issued forth accompanied by a tempestuous sound the hearts of the ancient guardians quaked within them and their knees smote together but several of the youthful cavaliers rushed in eager to gratify their curiosity or to signalize themselves in this redoubtable enterprise they had scarcely advanced a few paces however when they recoiled overcome by the baleful air or by some fearful vision upon this the king ordered that fires should be kindled to dispel the darkness and to correct the noxious and long imprisoned air he then led the way into the interior but though stout of heart he advanced with awe and hesitation after proceeding a short distance he entered a hall or antechamber on the opposite side of which a door and before it on a pedestal stood a gigantic figure of the colour of bronze and of a terrible aspect it held a huge mace which it whirled incessantly giving such cruel and resounding blows upon the earth as to prevent all further entrance the king paused at sight of this appalling figure for whether it were a living being or a statue of magic artifice he could not tell 
on its breast was a scroll whereon was inscribed in large letters i do my duty after a little while roderick plucked up heart and addressed it with great solemnity whatever thou be said he know that i come not to violate this sanctuary but to inquire into the mystery it contains i conjure thee therefore to let me pass in safety upon this the figure paused with uplifted mace and the king and his train passed unmolested through the door they now entered a vast chamber of a rare and sumptuous architecture difficult to be described the walls were encrusted with the most precious gems so joined together as to form one smooth and perfect surface the lofty dome appeared to be self-supported and was studded with gems lustrous as the stars of the firmament there was neither wood nor any other common or base material to be seen throughout the edifice there were no windows or other openings to admit the day yet a radiant light was spread throughout the place which seemed to shine upon the walls and to render every object distinctly visible in the centre of this hall stood a table of alabaster of the rarest workmanship on which was inscribed in greek characters that hercules alcides the theban greek had founded this tower in the year of the world three thousand and six upon the table stood a golden casket richly set round with precious stones and closed with a lock of mother-of-pearl and on the lid were inscribed the following words in this coffer is contained the mystery of the tower the hand of none but a king can open it but let him beware for marvellous events will be revealed to him which are to take place before his death king roderick boldly seized upon the casket the venerable archbishop laid his hand upon his arm and made a last remonstrance forbear my son said he desist while there is yet time look not into the mysterious decrees of providence god has hidden them in mercy from our sight and it is impious to rend the veil by which they are concealed what have i to dread from a knowledge of the future replied roderick with an air of haughty presumption if good be destined me i shall enjoy it by anticipation if evil i shall arm myself to meet it so saying he rashly broke the lock within the coffer he found nothing but a linen cloth folded between two tablets of copper on unfolding it he beheld painted on it figures of men on horseback of fierce demeanour clad in turbans and robes of various colours after the fashion of the arabs with scimitars hanging from their necks and crossbows at their saddle backs and they carried banners and pinions with divers devices above them was inscribed in greek characters rash monarch behold the men who are to hurl thee from thy throne and subdue thy kingdom at sight of these things the king was troubled in spirit and dismay fell upon his attendants while they were yet regarding the paintings it seemed as if the figures began to move and a faint sound of warlike tumult arose from the cloth with the clash of cymbal and bray of trumpet the neigh of steed and shout of army but all was heard indistinctly as if far off or in a reverie or a dream the more they gazed the plainer became the motion and the louder the noise and the linen cloth rolled forth and amplified and spread out as it were a mighty banner and filled the hall and mingled with the air until its texture was no longer visible or appeared as a transparent cloud and the shadowy figures became all in motion and the din and uproar became fiercer and fiercer and whether the whole were an animated picture or a vision 
or an array of embodied spirits conjured up by supernatural power no one present could tell they beheld before them a great field of battle where christians and moslems were engaged in deadly conflict they heard the rush and tramp of steeds the blast of trumpet and clarion the clash of cymbal and the stormy din of a thousand drums there was the clash of swords and maces and battle-axes with the whistling of arrows and the hurtling of darts and lances the christians quailed before the foe the infidels pressed upon them and put them to utter rue the standard of the cross was cast down the banner of spain was trodden underfoot the air resounded with shouts of triumph with yells of fury and with the groans of dying men amidst the flying squadrons king roderick beheld a crowned warrior whose back was towards him but whose armor and device were his own and who was mounted on a white steed that resembled his own war-horse aurelia in the confusion of the flight the warrior was dismounted and was no longer to be seen and aurelia galloped wildly through the field of battle without a rider roderick stayed to see no more but rushed from the fatal hall followed by his terrified attendants they fled through the outer chamber where the gigantic figure with the whirling mace had disappeared from his pedestal and on issuing into the open air they found the two ancient guardians of the tower lying dead at the portal as though they had been crushed by some mighty blow all nature which had been clear and serene was now in wild uproar the heavens were darkened by heavy clouds loud bursts of thunder rent the air and the earth was deluged with rain and rattling hail the king ordered that the iron portal should be closed but the door was immovable and the cavaliers were dismayed by the tremendous turmoil and the mingled shouts and groans that continued to prevail within the king and his train hastened back to toledo pursued and pelted by the tempest the mountains shook and echoed with the thunder trees were uprooted and blown down and the tagus raged and roared and flowed above its banks it seemed to the affrighted courtiers as if the phantom legions of the tower had issued forth and mingled with the storm for amidst the claps of thunder and the howling of the wind they fancied they heard the sound of the drums and trumpets the shouts of armies and the rush of steeds thus beaten by tempest and overwhelmed with horror the king and his courtiers arrived at toledo clattering across the bridge of the tagus and entering the gate in headlong confusion as though they had been pursued by an enemy in the morning the heavens were again serene and all nature was restored to tranquillity the king therefore issued forth with his cavaliers and took the road to the tower followed by a great multitude for he was anxious once more to close the iron door and shut up those evils that threatened to overwhelm the land but lo on coming in sight of the tower a new wonder met their eyes an eagle appeared high in the air seeming to descend from heaven he bore in his beak a burning brand and lighting on the summit of the tower fanned the fire with his wings in a little while the whole edifice burst forth into a blaze as though it had been built of rosin and the flames mounted into the air with a brilliancy more dazzling than the sun nor did they cease until every stone was consumed and the whole was reduced to a heap of ashes then there came a vast flight of birds small of size and sable of hue darkening the sky like a cloud and they descended and wheeled in circles round the ashes causing so great a wind with their wings that the whole was borne up into the air and scattered throughout all spain and wherever a particle of that ashes fell 
it was as a stain of blood it is furthermore recorded by ancient men and writers of former days that all those on whom this dust fell were afterwards slain in battle when the country was conquered by the arabs and that the destruction of this necromantic tower was a sign and token of the approaching perdition of spain End of section ninety seven this recording is in the public domain